Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music. It is a Tuesday across the Magnolia State of Rhino. It is. And a bit warm. What happened here? Yeah, I gotta put the big fluffy comforter back in the closet. It's too hot. <laughs> It, uh, I don't like it when it's warm this time of year because it's always got that kind of dampness in the atmosphere, and everything feels like it's just dripping wet. And it just feels so wrong to run the A.C. in December. Exactly. It's like, man, I was so close to being done with this. I know. Oh, wow. So did you happen to catch the Saints and the Bucks last night and the rather disappointing ending for those of us that – have some degree of interest in the Saints. I saw a lot of reactions, but I wasn't watching. Yeah, they pretty much folded at the end there. Tom Brady once again proved why he may be the GOAT. He kind of sliced and diced his way through the Saints' defense with some pinpoint accurate passing. And with just, uh, what, like 10 seconds left or something or around that, Got one into the end zone, and then they kicked an extra point and ended up winning the game 17-16. Disappointing for the Saints. Also, there was a report literally that broke during the game, and it concerns Tom Brady, the GOAT. He was screaming, caught screaming at his teammates as their offense was sputtering during the game and was uh, invoking profanity in his, his niceties, his extracurricular discussion there with his teammates. He was, he was mad, let's just put it that way. He was losing it on the bench, and it captured on video, of course, but... You know, I guess you could say he's earned that right. I mean, he's like 20 years older, it seems like, than some of them, right? Maybe not quite 20, but... No, I think you're right. I think he could arguably be 20. What What is his age? 41, 2, something like that? Um, so, 
You got 45. 45. Well, then, yeah, for sure, because the like the average age of an NFL player is like 25, 26, I think. So 45, man. Well, he fooled me. I knew he was in his 40s. I didn't know it was quite 45. But he certainly – so think about that. He's 20 years older than probably a good number of his teammates. He's older than a punter on the team. A wide re- He's 20 years older than a punter, a wide receiver, at least <laughs> one cornerback. Uh, let's see, an inside linebacker. Wow. A guard, an offensive lineman. So he was headed off to the draft in the combines where they are, were being birthed. <laughs> that is amazing. Truly is. But you got to tip your hat to him. The guy's incredibly durable. They usually don't make it to be 45. And his arm yesterday, watching him, it didn't look like a 45-year-old I was going to say you could Google Brett Favre pictures where his legs were all bruised up when he played for the Vikings, but you might want to be careful Googling Brett Favre pictures. <laughs> oh, gosh. Sad news to report the death of Kirsty Alley. Didn't see it coming. Evidently, she was diagnosed with cancer not too long ago. And really went down pretty rapidly. Very it can very, take you in a hurry. Yeah, I mean, depending on the type, of course. Very sad to see that. Uh, totally enjoyed her in her role on Cheers. Who could forget the uh, kind of the relationship she had with Ted Danson, the bar owner? That was really awesome. Done. Uh, show, I think, one of the best ever on network primetime television. And her role there was incredible. And it just seems like that's what you remember her for, just perfectly cast. Just a great uh, delivery sense of humor and understood how to play that sort of bigger-than-life arrogant role, which was akin to the character. Really sad to see that. And it's one of those deals where... I don't think I saw any reports of her being ill. And, no, and all it, the reports I saw said that it was a private battle. Okay. And certainly don't blame her for that. One of my earliest memories is actually of Kirstie Alley in a movie that I probably shouldn't have been watching at the time. Yeah. But if you remember the really cheesy 80s action movie Runaway. Yeah. With Tom Selleck. Do and the smart bullets that could steer themselves around corners and stuff. Yeah, that's really all I remember from the movie is Tom Selleck, smart bullets that steered, and Kirstie Alley. But I remember <laughs> Kirstie Alley being in it. She was awesome. I played uh, Rebecca Howe in the Cheers sitcom. Also played opposite John Travolta in what was it? Look who's talking. Oh yeah, and that was. Uh, really successful movie as well and travolta was was it travolta and uh who was the voice of the bait was it bruce willis that was the voice of the baby seems like it was that was awesome too and travolta also jamie lee curtis i think she starred in some roles uh along with kirsty alley in some productions uh, all took to social media to extend their condolences as well so 
Hate to see the passing of Kirsty Alley. Today, of course, Dave from Manistee, Michigan, by the way, says Fox reported colon cancer. I hate to hear that. I, I got, I'm going to get on my soapbox here a minute about that before we go to break. Carolyn McAdams, by the way, the mayor of Greenwood, is our guest at 1020. We're going to talk about the Greenwood LaFleur Hospital situation. Also wanted to pass on, before I get to my soapbox, uh, some additional info about is Felix Gines, who was on the uh, city council in Biloxi, we reported yesterday, he switched from the Democrat to the Republican Party. And uh, Frank Bordeaux, chairman of the GOP in the state, they did a press conference yesterday in Biloxi. He was also voted to be the council president by a majority of the GOP council. So with respect to colon cancer, I'm a colon cancer survivor diagnosed in 2006 and uh, was not 50 years old at the time, which is the recommended age for which one should get screened for colon cancer. My soapbox is is, no one in this country should ever die of colon cancer. And the reason is because, having been through it, if you get screened, which you see the GI facilities, clinics, promoting that this constantly, if you get screened through a simple colonoscopy and polyps are detected and you're removing those polyps, you're essentially preventing cancer because all colon cancer begins its life as a polyp. And it takes, from everything I could read and understood from talking to doctors when I was going through that ordeal, about 10 years from the time a polyp begins to form to the time it becomes cancerous. I was fortunate in that the cancer in the polyp that I had and was removed as part of my screening was uh, was confined to the tip of the polyp. The problem is, at the time, there was no way to to do a biopsy and test the surrounding tissue, in particular, the lymph nodes that are attached to the colon, which is really what spreads the cancer, causes it to metastasize throughout the body. If it gets into the lymph nodes, pushes through the colon walls into the lymph nodes, essentially. Well, my lymph nodes were diagnosed as part of recommended surgery to remove part of my colon, and they were all negative, thank God. So I had no further treatment. But the doctor said, my GI said, yeah, if you'd have waited another nine months or so, would have been likely a different outcome. So anytime I see someone dying of colon cancer, I just think, I just wonder if they were getting regular screening. And if not, I, if they were, I just doubt this would have been the outcome. It's just so, um, so sad to see that because we have, thankfully, technology and medical procedures and practices now to essentially prevent colon cancer just through this simple screening procedure. Please go do it, folks, if you hadn't and you're at that age. Coming back with Mayor Carolyn McAdams of Greenwood, going to talk about the hospital up there. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
back in the Element Wealth Studios. We thank you so much for joining us today, Middays. Tomorrow, Middays, will broadcast live from Stone's Jewelry in Tupelo, where there will be Christmas savings throughout the store. Bring a new blanket or monetary donation to help the Sanctuary Hospice, and you'll be entered to win a prize each hour. If you're in the Tupelo area tomorrow, I'd love to see you. Come on by Stone's Jewelry and and uh, say hello. Had that happen last year. Lots of, uh, not lots, but a handful or so of our our listening, viewing audience came by and paid us a visit. We re- certainly appreciate that, and we'll be in Tupelo tomorrow. So my day will start a little early. <clears throat> Fortunately, the weather looks good. For a little journey up uh, 55, it's typically the route I take, up 55, then hit 82 there towards, what is it, Houston, I think, where we catch the trace. Okay, we're good to go. We've got the mayor. Mayor, McAdams, you there? Yes, sir. Good morning, hey. Gerard. Yes, ma'am. Can good morning. Got you. Got you loud and clear. Good morning. Glad we got all that worked out. Appreciate that, Rhino. And and uh, so we spoke a few weeks ago about the situation at the Greenwood LaFleur Hospital. As I recall, it was a bit stressful, and uh, the situation was rather dire. Give us an update. Where do we stand today? Well, it's still dire, and we still have the same situation, but things are turning around for the better, and hopefully when the legislature gets in session in uh, January, things will change. I did go to the Capitol. Senator uh, Bryant had the uh, meeting several month, uh, several weeks ago concerning rural hospitals. I did attend that meeting, and it was very informative. We learned uh, that the Mississippi Hospital Group is coming up with a Mississippi Hospital Access Payment Program, and uh, that is going to put categorize different hospital rural hospitals in different tiers so depending on what tier you're in uh then you will be able to access a little bit more money than you normally would have and they're getting an increase to that tier program if this passes uh of about uh five hundred thousand dollars so it will be uh a big increase to that pool of money that has been accessed before. So, and I think Greenwood Lafour Hospital will fall into the rural, urban, rural tier. And how much money that equates to, I am not sure, but it will be a significant difference in payment that would help us survive a little bit longer or survive this problem. Until we can maybe even get critical care, we're applying for everything that we can apply for. We have two uh, consultants that are on duty, so to speak, mm-hmm. and they are helping uh, the Greenwood for Hospital Finance and Administration work through some of these problems and see where we need to go so that we can stay open. The doors are still open. We are not closed. Certainly expenses have been reduced greatly. So, Mayor, this additional monies you were speaking of, which uh, I guess came out of this this hearing that you said Senator Bryan conducted, assume you're talking about Senator High Bryan, correct? Yes, correct. Okay. Yeah. The chairman of the health committee. Right, right. Yes, sir. In the Senate. Okay, so is this federal money or state money we're talking about here? 
Well, I would assume that since it's the state legislators, it would be state money. Now, that was not, that was not, um, or maybe both. Yeah. I'm not sure, Gerard, on that yeah. note. I don't want to say something incorrectly. No, I understand. That's that's fine. I, I'm just uh, a little perplexed myself at, at uh, exactly what, uh, and I'll find out exactly what this source of, of funding is, what program that falls under that is uh, allocating funds from the state, because I'm not aware of any federal program that uh, would be coming into play here where the legislators would have any sort of scope of authority over. Uh, I mean, that primarily comes from, as you know, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, uninsured care, DSH payments. I know you're familiar with all those programs. Those are all sources of revenue for the hospital and virtually every hospital, as a matter of fact, uh, in in the country. Correct, correct. And it's very... It's a very complex plan. It is. I mean, all of this hospital uh, finances and regulations and things that are put on different hospitals, I mean, it's very complex. And to someone that uh, is learning like me about the hospital finances and, and where we need to be and how we need to get there, it is uh, – there are lots of stipulations on all of, of – like if you have – uh, your emergency room open, then you've got to have so many doctors and you've got to have so many nurses and yeah. you've got to prepare. You've got to be prepared for, you know, 50 people coming in there or one person coming in there. It really does not matter. Right. Yeah. So I mean, it's kind of difficult. Yeah. And, and that's, of course, you're referring to just the, the stipulation of the standards of care. Um, but even the, the revenue model in the healthcare industry, as we were just discussing, is, uh, is unlike most industries in that it comes from multiple sources. It's paid at different rates uh, for the same service. So for every service that's provided by a healthcare institution, uh, depending on who's paying is the amount you get reimbursed for that. And that, and that sort of adds to the complexity of, uh, of the whole deal. Uh, as we know, Medicaid pays different than Medicare, pays different than private private paid different than other private, depending on the way you've negotiated the contract. And then there's uncompensated care as well that's into the mix. Right, exactly. All right, so last time, yeah. Mayor, and you were on the program, I asked you about the uncompensated care, and and uh, your response, i got to tell you, startled me. You shared with us then that about 80% of the services provided by Greenwood LaFleur uh, are uncompensated. Is is that accurate? That's okay, so only twenty percent of what you guys are providing, what that hospital's providing, is being paid for. Is that true? Is that accurate? That's correct. That that's accurate. Twenty five percent of our customers are uh, patients are paying in patients, and yeah. the rest are not. So, I mean, when you're living in a rural area, that's what you're gonna that's what you're gonna have, and that's why. All of, it's not just Greenwood, but right. we're the most critical one at this aspect. But it's not just Greenwood. It's several of our hospitals, especially in the Delta, where you've got oppressed areas. And it's 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 tough to survive when when you don't have that extra payment. Yeah. And so of course, uh, that's not going to fix everything either. Right. Right. But it would help. Right. And then the federal government has a program called the Disproportionate Share um, it's disproportionate shared. It's also known as D- dish payments for short, <laughs> DSH. Right. And that yeah. uh, is a pot of money that's allocated to hospitals based on the amount of uh, uninsured uh, care they provide, also the amount of Medicaid 
they provide because it's it's largely uh, examined as uh, as being held as being upside down relative to cost. The amount you get from Medicaid really doesn't even cover right. the cost. So you get some reimbursement from the federal government, the, the, the so-called DSH payments. So i got to believe, given that 80% of the care provided at the hospital is uncompensated, it is relying quite a bit on that program to offset those costs, the DSA Absolutely. program. Absolutely. Okay. That is correct, and that was greatly reduced. So That's right. That being said, we just are struggling, but we're working through it. I okay. mean, we've got, like I said, we have two consultants that are on it, uh, watching, looking, seeing uh, avenues that we can take, and we're doing that. We're doing okay. everything we can uh, to maintain what we have, but it's going to be greatly reduced because we can't have a 220-bed hospital any longer right? and survive with the expenses. So we're going to have to reduce all that. And how that's going to come about right now, Gerard, I don't know. Because uh, that's still in the plan. They're still working through all that. Have, have the board uh, and or uh, management at uh, the hospital, have they really called through the expenses uh, borne by the facility to see what they can cut, especially perhaps any non-clinical uh, staff that, that maybe uh, could be shed, might cause a hardship, could, but could be shed to reduce expenses. Has any of that occurred? Absolutely, that has. I mean, we've reduced, uh, supposedly this morning I talked to the CFO and we've reduced expenses from $122 million to around $93 million. And that's going down repeatedly. If someone leaves, uh, just recently someone left uh, that was a uh, in a high position, yeah. and so they're not going to fill that position. I so as you. people leave, they're not filling those positions, and they did have to they did have to reduce the staff greatly too. Okay. So the expenses are coming down, and that's what we need to see in order to get us through this hurdle. Hopefully of being able to get help from other other uh, uh, sources and programs. I got you. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, can you hang around through the break? Mayor, I've got another couple of questions sure. I want to ask you. we got Mayor uh, the mayor of Greenwood, Carolyn McAdams, on Middays. Coming right back. Attention, adoring fans. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Wealth Studios, Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We're visiting with the mayor of Greenwood, Carolyn McAdams. We're talking about the Greenwood LaFleur Hospital. So, uh, Mayor, you had indicated before we went to break the, that, and I saw you looking at, at a document, so I assume it was a report you got from the CEO. Is that is that true, ma'am? Right. Okay. Where Correct. The report, That's right. His report to you or her, I'm not sure who the CEO is. 
Uh, exactly. But it's a she. A she. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Wanted to get that right. So reported that. Well, the chief financial officer. Okay, fine. Yes. Well, that would they would be responsible mm-hmm. for pre- preparing those right. kinds of reports. So uh, that they have trimmed expenses. Uh, give us again those figures from what to what and over what time period. Well, okay. In 2021, the expenses were 122 million. Okay. Today, they're around 92 million. Okay, gotcha. Today, so, they're around 92 million. I could not find an audited financial statement for 2021 uh, yet. Mm-hmm. The the last one I could find, and it may be out there. I'm just not looking in the right place. Was 2020. I assume that you have the the hospital has the same uh, uh, public accounting firm, the Horn Group. Is that true? Is the Horn Group still the auditors for the hospital? Uh, yes, correct. Correct. Okay. okay. Uh, all right. So I'm looking at uh, Horn Group's most the most recent one I could find any, and I'm looking at the income statement. Uh, actually, it's not called an income statement in that world. It's called revenues, expenses, and changes in debt positions. That That's the, the gap standard for uh, labeling essentially what is an income statement in the private sector. So I'm looking at 18, 19, 20. There's a comparative analysis. The fiscal year ends September 30th, according to this latest report. I assume right. they haven't changed that. So expenses... Well, let's talk about revenues. Revenues declined uh, year after year from 18, 19, 20, 116, 112, 101 million, respectively, 18, 19, 20. So between 18 and 20, revenues right. down roughly $15 million. And then expenses down from 125, 119, 117, 18, 19, 20. So an overall decrease between eighteen and twenty of about eight million dollars, but the, the and so that produced a net loss. My guess is the hospital probably hasn't produced net income from operations in quite some time. That it's been upside down for a while, and uh, this 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 report from Horn Group shows a loss of nine million in eighteen, six million, roughly seven in nineteen, and then sixteen million. In 20, but did get a big infusion from the CARES Act of $13 million to help offset some of those losses in 20. Of course, that was legislation signed into law by uh, President Trump in 2020. I just haven't seen it, the 21 data. Do you have a feel, Mayor, for how things have changed between 20 and 21? You indicated that expenses were down. Um, and so I, this report I'm, I'm seeing shows 2020 117 million. That's consistent with what you reported, or the the CFO right. that provided you down to what'd you say 93 million now. So 92, 92, 92 million. Okay. Or so. so that's actually right. that's actually 32 million dollars less than 2018, just four years ago. So there has been some expense trimming uh, going on. Um, so you said you're waiting for the legislature to get back in session. I just wanted to, to share that information with our audience just to kind of level set the financial right. picture for the institution. You said you're waiting for the legislature. Is there anything in particular and that you've got, I assume, some lobbyists or contractors, consultants working on your behalf, as you indicated? What is it that you expect exactly. them to do and you're looking for them to do for the hospital here? Well, I hope that this tears program can get rechanged and, uh, you know, so, so that we can get 
significant more amount of money out of the tiers depending on what category we fall in. And so right. I'm hoping that that will get passed through the legislators in January. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure, uh, when that's going to be taken up, but I know that there is a, is a bill that's going to be our resolution for them to review. And I hope that that gets passed. Now, there are people working on that. And like I said, we have two consultants. One was hired by the business community and one was hired by the board of supervisors. Right. And what all they're working on, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure of except for the critical care. I do know that we're applying for to be a critical care uh, facility. And, and how would that like change? Rubel. Okay. How would that change the revenue picture for the hospital if, uh, if they are granted that status? Critical well, care. Well, I think the payment that you, you know, the critical care, you get so much payment for every, uh, patient that you have. And that, that is a, would be a, a tremendous increase in what we're receiving now from okay. the federal government. Okay. So that, that would help us. Now, I don't know all of the details and I, oh, that's because fine. like I, I said, it's very complex. It, it is. And yes, I've ma'am. got the, I've got the minimal overview here. Yes, ma'am. And I'm trying I, to understand it. Completely agree. It is ridiculously complicated, and honestly, I think that's one of the problems in the whole healthcare uh, world in our country. Is we have overcomplicated it to the point where you got to ha- have about five experts in a room uh, just to talk intelligently about it these days. Between the revenue model and the reimbursement uh, programs, and, and then the expense model itself, and all the various statuses, you got federal rules, state rules. It is complicated. So I. I certainly agree with that. And so I'm wondering here, and I'll do a little research on that, if uh, critical care achieving that status, you said it would increase reimbursement rates. I wonder if that, were from the federal government, that would obviously mean Medicaid and Medicare. Uh, and so, Correct. <clears throat> yeah, which which are federal programs, of course. The other thing, and, I, and I'm not sure, Mayor, if you're prepared to answer this to, uh, now, and, and that's certainly fine, but I would maybe ask you to, to go back and and refer this question, and they may be listening, and that's fine as well, to the CFO or the others that work in the, in the hospital, which is, I wonder if in that 80% figure that you cited, if, if that includes in that calculation the difference between what Medicaid and Medicare pay and private insurance, or the difference between what Medicaid and Medicare pay and the actual cost of delivering that service, when I think of 80%, I'm thinking, well, 80% of the patients that come in and receive care are not paying whatsoever, or 80% of the total value of care provided is not being compensated. I mean, there's different ways of measuring that, and I'm, I'm certainly not trying to trip up what you're saying whatsoever. I'm just curious, and, and I, I think it would, would uh, certainly warrant understanding the details of that and this is again another situation as you said it's just complicated um but but maybe yeah. that's something we can refer because it just sounds to me when i hear 80 percent, i'm thinking well n- no business can survive when they're giving away 80 percent of their services period so and that's what we say all the time that you know no one could survive on that kind of uh money yeah. No one. I mean, you know, it's just like a grocery store. If you start losing that kind of money, you're not going to stay open or any any store. Yeah. So you're correct. But 
that would be the CEO question. Okay, sure. Uh, in regards to the breakdown of that, because I don't want to, I don't, I just don't want to say anything incorrectly right. and it be entirely wrong. Right. So I'm going to refer that over to the CEO in the hospital. Yeah. Some of these questions are pretty much hospital related. Sure, I understand. Um, and and maybe we can do an, another segment where we can have uh, you and the CEO and or CFO on would be great, okay. and we can kind of share in the questions there and. Because uh, cause I think what's happening, as you well know, Mayor, at the Greenwood LaFleur facility is happening across the state in a number of rural facilities as well. I actually have looked at financial statements of a few others. They're all the same. They're all upside down. They're all cash flow negative. Right. Not all, but a good portion of them are, I think. I think uh, Dr. Edney from Department of Health reported that some 54 are in the same situation. Um, of the hospital, or maybe it's fifty-four percent. I think of the total rural hospitals in the Correct. state. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the figure. So, apologize for conflating that. Well, that that's a significant number yeah. that are that are upside down here. Um, they're no easy answer. The other thing is, is it possible, ma'am, for you to find out whether or not the the audit has been released and produced for the fiscal year 21? Would love to see that as well. Don't expect to have 22 yet. You just ended that. That was September. Right, right. more than a year old. And it may be out there. I just couldn't find it. Just to see how revenues and expenses have comparatively changed the way this one I'm looking at shows from 18, 19, and 20. Um, I, I think folk, I can, folks want to I see that. I can check on that, Gerard. Okay, that'd be great. Yeah, I can check on that, and it could have been it could have been the CFO told me that today based on her numbers, which sure. would have been on audit. Sure. So you know, I know we do that in the city, and it sure. changes sometimes. So, yes, ma'am. But I will get that information. Yes, ma'am. I appreci- yes. appreciate that, but and appreciate wanna, the update. We got to go, but go ahead. I just want to say one thing. The community has really rallied behind this problem gotcha. and stepped up to the plate in trying to help us all. So I do appreciate it and appreciate your interest. So thank you. Yes, ma'am. We'll talk soon. We're stepping aside for a break on Middays. Coming right back. Come on. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right. We are back on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Appreciate the appreciate the mayor coming on and it is complicated. The, in fact, it's I know I've shared this before, but it, it's healthcare, healthcare policy. That's what honestly launched my foray into interest in politics before 2008. I'll have to tell you, I didn't really care. I just felt like they're there, I'm here, leave me alone. I got it. I'm just running a business, trying to make a living, take care of my family. I think most people would tell you that. Shouldn't have to worry about the government getting in their face all the time. But when I saw Barack Obama talk about his plans for health care reform, 
in 2008 during the campaign, and it did pique my interest. I just happened to catch him flipping through the news one day, and I said, wait a second, shared responsibility? That was the term, remember that? It sounds so virtuous. We're going to share in the responsibility. What he means is no employers are going to pay totally for everybody's health insurance, whether they want to or not. And and that's what got me curious and started reading his detailed plans for health care reform. And after that said, you know what, I better start tracking what the heck's going on here. And the more I got into it, the more I saw this is brutally complicated. From a from the business of healthcare, it seems is more complicated than the clinical aspect of it. No disrespect to the brilliant people that uh, are clinicians, physicians, nurses, healthcare professionals, etc. They're my experience is that they're very committed, very smart people. Very diligent people. And what they do is complicated. It is science, and it's constantly changing, which is good because of human innovation, which has improved the quality of life, no doubt, extended life. But when you get into the financial side of things in that world, it, it is ridiculously complicated. I'm not sure there's another industry where the price of every good or service sold has multiple amounts, multiple values. If you, you wouldn't walk into a McDonald's and see five prices on a Big Mac, as an example. The, uh, boy, the menu folks would have fun with that, wouldn't they? <laughs> now they're all digital, which is pretty cool. Digital signage is what we used to call that when it was coming onto the scene. But in the case of healthcare, which is why if if you have if you if you go to your primary doctor, for example, and your primary doctor says you got a problem and uh, you need a procedure uh, to fix that problem, and you got to do that at a hospital, and you call the surgeon, the hospital, whomever, and say, "What's that going to cost?" They can't tell you, which is crazy. So you end up you end up often. Most people, I would think, end up undergoing the procedure, completing it, and you probably don't know what it's going to cost. You have some idea if you're insured, how much insurance is uh, percentage-wise what it's going to pay. You may have some deductibles. And, of course, it, it is true when you go uh, to, to be admitted and check in, to the hospital, the admissions process, they are pretty good about telling you at that point, okay, this is what's going to cost, but often that's the day you're having surgery or the, whatever the procedure may be. And they'll go through it with you, and typically you got to show all your credentials. You guys know the drill if you've done that. I'm sure most people listening have, and your all your insurance cards and your ID and all that stuff, and, and they're able to with all these integrated systems we have now, they're able to tell you, okay, you got you got this much uh, deductible, copay, coinsurance, and this is what it's going to be out of pocket to you, etc. And that and that so that's helpful, but usually that doesn't occur until you've pretty much already said, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm uh, yep, I'm going to have this procedure. 
this operation, what have you. It's, so it is ridiculously complicated, as you can tell. And so I, I do, um, I would like to get the CFO, CEO, one or both, uh, on the on the show to, to of, of this hospital to ask some of these questions that I think understandably get a little deeper uh, into the weeds about the uh, financial aspects of the operation at the hospital that then the mayor really should know or would know, and that's, I certainly understand that, but those details are important. They're relevant to this discussion and and how to address it. Uh, so maybe we can make that happen, folks. I I got a bunch more questions on that that we could go through, but Bill Withers, lean on me, bumping us out of this first hour of middays. We're coming right back after Super Talk News, Fox News. Two hours left on middays. We're in the Element Well Studios. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Wealth Studios. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The Dow down 227 today. The crude oil is also down $2 and change. And uh, the NASDAQ also down a fair amount as well. The S&P down 41. The NASDAQ, I think it's down 161. Yeah, it was 170 a minute ago. So what investors are grappling with is a bit of a conflicting report today that shows China is relaxing some of its outrageous COVID lockdown restrictions, which is positive in that it opens up the Chinese economy and it should hopefully prevent any further exacerbation of the supply chain challenges we're having. Well, it's in the face of nationwide protests against the lockdown that got so bad that they couldn't hide it all. Yeah, and um, reports that many of the Chinese population are viewing the uh, soccer matches, World Cup, over in Qatar or Qatar, whichever way you prefer to uh, pronounce it, and they're saying, wait, these gazillions of people that are shoulder to shoulder and spitting in each other's face, yelling on their favorite team without any masks on, huh? And I don't. And they're not hearing of any outbreaks of people just dropping dead of COVID in the stadium there in Qatar slash Qatar. Yeah, and of course the Chinese government works rather uh, feverishly to hide such images from its population. Nothing new. They've been doing that a long time. When it was just television or photos, a little easier to suppress that content. But this instant digital world we live in, a bit harder. And so when these folks start seeing how 
life is outside of the borders of communist China, they start scratching their heads. You would like to see, obviously, you would like to see the Chinese communist regime fall. Should we not support that China would convert, transition to a free nation, one that's not under communist rule? Here's what we should be aware of, though, in my view, Rhino. If that should happen, China, which I think is not achieving its ultimate potential because it is communist, if it converted to a free society and free markets, we better watch the hell out because we're going in the other direction. And it's just a numbers game. Exactly right. They got a whole lot more people than we do. And the ultimate human tool to solve human problems is the human brain. And the human brain cannot achieve its optimum possible output without freedom. And if they figure that out and they become free, they'll kick our butts. Let's just be honest. If we continue down the path we are, We're more consumed with and obsessed with pronouns and foisting all sorts of gender ideology and and denouncing our founding, dismissing it, and trying to relive the darkest days in this country, uh, uh, arguably, when slavery was prevalent across uh, certainly the South here, we still act like that's going on. We talked yesterday about the $559 billion of reparations that the state of California is considering. And do you think China, Rhino, you think they would say, okay, no more fossil fuels here? No. I saw where the city council of Los Angeles voted unanimously to ban drilling, ban drilling in the area under their authority, under their jurisdiction. There actually are oil wells in the city there. They're kind of disguised. California is rich with oil. Well, they won't tap any of it. They've also, you've seen this in the city of Los Angeles, the nation's second largest <laughs> They have passed an ordinance that prohibits the construction of any new gas stations within the city limits. I mean, it's everything they can do to rid their state of fossil fuels. And the state government is considering a dumb, misguided, harmful windfall profits tax in California on oil and gas Sellers, companies that sell their product, the fuels and energy, into the Golden State. Tax the living snot out of them. Oh, yeah, that'll increase supply, which is the only way to get the price down. In the meantime, China, who honestly, does not take care of the environment. And you know why? Because it's run by the government. 
It's run by the government. A free society that promotes capitalism, embraces it, allows it, they take much better care of the environment. But this view from the left that humans take from the earth and can only ruin the planet, it's almost anti-human. The doomsayers, the pessimists, in fact, it's humans and human innovation which have and do and will improve the planet, that neutralize these threats, because honestly, the planet is is naturally a, a, a dangerous and a deficient place. It's humans that make it better. Human innovation. It's like when we had Mike McCormick from Farm Bureau and, and others representing the industry on the show Friday. They're absolutely right. Farmers are the best caretaker takers of the land. If because if they don't, they ain't, they ain't gonna eat, and the only way they eat is feeding us. And so think about the advances just in agriculture through the decades, through the years that have dramatically increased the output and yield while taking care of the land, making it better, improving it, amending it for the better. Humans improve the planet through productive activity. They create the the resources, the innovation necessary to neutralize the planet's threats, which can be a bit daunting. Don't believe so? Ask the cavemen. Think about this country before fossil fuels. Still a relatively impoverished nation. And that's where we're headed. We're trying to turn the clock back. You saw this congresswoman, Rhino, that went to the well and said that was issuing these kind of, making these dire warnings and predictions about fossil fuels and said her middle school child wakes up in the middle of the night it just just um, frightened about fossil fuels and her future life in a, in a world that still consumes them. It's the Greta Thunberg crap, right? You know what you ought to be telling them, lady? Thank God for fossil fuels. You're not going to freeze to death this winter. But at the rate it's going, I fear some are. Europe is really struggling with this situation. It ain't even gotten cold yet. Is it not insane that here in the 21st century, we're worried about how to stay warm in the winter in Europe? It's been around a while, Europe, you know. Oh, yeah. They ain't figured that out yet? No, because they're stupid, woke policies where they, honestly, they worship plants and trees over humans. Man. So we better we better watch out for China. Remember Joe Biden dismissing that? And y'all have to give it to Trump. He made that very clear. This is who we better be worried about. Mitt Romney, when he was running against Barack Obama, he dismissed it as well. What what did Joe Biden say? They're not bad folks, folks, and something to that effect. No, but I tell you what. If their economy is ever unleashed because they have converted to capitalism, now that's a tall order because the 
the communist regime, the bourgeoisie, they're in control and and they uh, profit from communism, while the proletariat, the little people, if you will, they're oppressed. And so they like it that way. But if they ever unleashed it, we better get down to business and quit worrying about pronouns and where to go to the bathroom. That's all I can say. We're coming back with more here on Middays, much more to talk about. We're going to get back on this Medicaid thing as well. Stay with us. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, on to the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi. You know, we didn't talk about it, but uh, high school football season has ended and champions of the various divisions have been crowned. And you know, the Super Talk team here, Will and company, they do a dang good job. And we're fortunate, I think, to have that sort of statewide coverage of high school football here in Mississippi. I just want to point that out. We don't say a whole lot about it on the show, and that's on me. But uh, they do a, a, a really yeoman's job, very professionally done broadcast. Uh, those who do the games and then the scoreboard show afterwards is uh, really a dang good deal. And my good friend Brian Haydad, you know, he's got a show that's been on a while here. Thunder and Lightning on Wednesday nights, starting at 6 p.m. And it covers, of course, the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Like no one else. Of course, you'll still be able to get daily Thunder and Lightning episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. I keep telling Hey Daddy needs to get me on as a guest. <laughs> but he hadn't. <laughs> he has uh, not seen fit to do that yet. But I'm still here, Brian, if you're listening, ready to come on <laughs> as a guest. Okay. So, you know what? A little bit of a rant there in the last segment, but it it is true. I, I sometimes wonder about that. Man, what if China embraced capitalism? Because look at Israel. Wasn't too long ago, prior to Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel was, for the most part, a socialist nation. It was Netanyahu that promoted the idea that, you know, if we unleash the the brain power, and the Israelis are very smart people, just overall, especially from a technology and innovation perspective. In fact, most of, or a good bit of, cybersecurity protection technology comes from Israel, originated in Israel. One of the first companies if not the first, to produce an Internet firewall. Checkpoint Systems, an Israeli-based company. We were were actually one of the first checkpoint partners in the country. And that goes back to the mid-'90s when the Internet was being built out. There's some really smart people in Israel, but it was Netanyahu's vision to get the government out of the way and unleash the animal spirits of the private sector, it's amazing how much more productive humans are 
when they are rewarded for their work. But in a communist system, you're not. You're working for the government. And there's a limit, in some cases, not allowed to own your own assets, private property. And what the government allows is very selective. And so it's, it's almost as if, well, the communist regime knows we can't do everything in the government, so we're going to allow little pockets of free enterprise to occur. But, of course, we're still going to be in charge and control it. Alibaba comes to mind as an example. And, but if they ever figured that out, again, while we're doing everything we can to suppress human innovation, it feels, and completely transition off of fossil fuels way prematurely, if ever, honestly, they pose a serious threat. You've seen some reports from our our top brass in the military who were making these wars, sounding the alarms, right? These guys are not only catching up, they're passing us. Not just in terms of number of armaments and various assets. That's the way we used to measure, you know, how many fighter planes and how many aircraft carriers and um, uh, how many ground artillery assets and all that sort of stuff, battleships. That's really not how it's measured anymore. It's measured in terms of just how sophisticated is those weapon systems, are those weapon systems, and the technology behind the scenes. And and they're working on that constantly to gain an edge over this. And what are we doing? Causing our, our airmen in the Air Force to participate in privilege walks. And our service academies are just foisting all the CRT and gender ideology stuff on uh, the the soldiers, the airmen, the sailors in those academies, uh, the Marines to some extent as well. It's uh, totally misguided, it's totally in the name of some leftist ideology, and it's and it's being handed down by those in charge, from the Secretary of Defense to that crazy General Milley, remember him saying, yeah, white rage is the number one problem we have in the military. Not China gaining a, a military edge. Oh, no, it's white rage. Couldn't point to any examples of it. Just crazy. Mm-mm-mm. Johnny and West Point, what's the deal with Russia and private tankers? I'm not sure exactly that there's any deal there. Are you familiar with that? Oh, I think I do think they maybe flex their military muscle a little bit on the transport of uh, of oil and other commodities via well private tankers in particular would be oil in, in some of the regions around the Europe, if I'm not mistaken. But the big thing is the European Union voted not to pay above a certain price for Russian oil, and Russia's now thumbing their nose and saying, well, we ain't going to sell you any. And of course, that not sure what the ramifications of that are, because they just turn around and sell it to China. So, yeah, we're not paying more than $80 a barrel, you Russians. 
And, of course, they do rely quite a bit on revenue because it's mostly state-owned is uh, Russian oil. And they do rely on that. And so it's it's a combination of the, the, the uh, reaction here from Europe is to keep the price down for the citizens in Europe, but also maybe in hopes that it would uh, decrease the revenue Russia has available to prosecute the war in Ukraine. Wow. Ben from Madison. He says this was it uh, about an hour ago. I have I feel very fortunate to live in an area where the hospitals aren't struggling like some in the rural parts of the state. I don't know what a solution looks like, but I do hope we can find a conservative solution to some of these issues. At some point, you have to wonder if the Interstate Commerce Clause in the Constitution will override some of the wild policies going on in California. I personally don't think they can just outlaw the sale of fossil fuel-powered cars. Well, you may be right, Ben, but until somebody launches a lawsuit, gets it into court to overturn and reverse all that, I would think that the vehicle manufacturers who have been manufacturing vehicles to different CAFE standards, right, emission standards, for quite some time. I think that goes back to the 70s. The California standard and the rest of the country standard, right? And I believe the cost of the vehicle, because of the whatever the enhancements are on the, on, uh, the vehicle to uh, lessen the emissions, more in California. The California price, the rest of the country sticker price. So yeah, that's the weird thing about California's car industry is they have a large population of car enthusiasts yeah. that pay through the nose for new vehicles, but because they have a large population of car enthusiasts, if you're looking for a car that's older than, say, a decade, and you're looking for a specific model or color or trim, you could probably get it for about half the price in California. Yeah. That's true. Absolutely. So it's a good point, Ben. I'm just not sure that uh, it, without a lawsuit, I, I just don't know that anything comes to that. He, he goes on to say, for example, Mississippi couldn't just pass and enforce a law that only allows citizens to buy catfish that were raised in Mississippi. Why not? I can tell you this, Ben, having been a business partner, a supplier, to numerous states in this country, I think you might be surprised at how many states actually do have laws on the books that provide uh, preferential treatment, advantage in procurement to companies that are headquartered in that state or have operations in some cases in that state. And one of those is Texas. I've done business in Texas a lot, and they absolutely do that. I talked to Governor Kurt Fordyce about that possibility in Mississippi years ago, and he actually said, no, we don't want to do that because we don't want other states to treat our Mississippi companies that way when they vend to them. But they do. We're coming right back here on Middays in the Element Well Studios. With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
Hendricks with Purple Haze. Mike, when you think of Jimi Hendrix, you just think of Purple Haze, don't you? Arguably. And all along the Watchtower. Which is a fantastic song. Great. I think we talked about that before. The the Dave Mason, Mason version of it is also excellent, by the way. A little, little more upbeat, a little faster, the timing. But still, where did he come up with that? And what the heck does it mean? You have any idea? You ever looked at the lyrics there? <laughs> Said the joke. Well, you got to remember, all along the Watchtower was originally written by Bob Dylan. That's right. So that explains it right there. The lyrics aren't supposed to have a meaning, right? Well, they do, but only Bob Dylan <laughs> only knows. Only Dylan knows. That's right. And I'm not going to hazard to guess what he was thinking and all that. So William in Greenville says $60 a barrel cap, talking about the price of oil. Is that what they capped it at, William? Not eighty? I thought it was eighty. The Euro- European Union. They voted to cap it at sixty. Was it or eighty? I could have missed it there. We'll see what we find out. Hendrick's version of the Star Spangled Banner is awesome. I agree. On Friday, the EU agreed to cap Russian seaborne oil prices at sixty a barrel. Okay, thank you for correcting me on that, William. That's that's not going to sit very well. With those um, zany Russians, (laughs) thank you for that. But we'll see what happens. I did find, wanted to report, did find the audited financial statements. Took a little search there on the break for fiscal year ending 2021 for the Greenwood LaFleur Hospital. And as the mayor indicated, Horn is still the accounting firm of record for the hospital performing the audit. So this would be for the year ending September 30th, 2021. My guess is they may still be compiling 2022. I'll see if I can find it. But because their fiscal year ends at the end of September, so the audit may still be ongoing. And, And therefore, there's not an audited financial statement. But just once again, looking at the financial statement, and in particular looking at revenues, expenses, and the changes in net position, which is the the gap standard title for what most would call an income statement or a profit and loss statement for an organization uh, structured such as the hospital. And it turns out that the hospital did produce a net loss in 2021 of $22 million. That is up from 2020 when the hospital lost $16 million, which is up from 2019 when it lost $7 million. So 19-2021, Greenwood LaFleur Hospital produced a $7 million loss, a $16.5 million loss, and a $22 million loss. So losses are mounting and escalating substantially. And the only thing that, just looking here at 2020 and 2021, the, a, a bit of consolation is that they did receive, again, a pretty large piece of CARES Act funding, $13 million in 20, $11 million in 21. 
I'm not sure just looking at the the equity portion of the of the balance sheet and the statement of net position not sure this hospital would not have already closed or significantly and I'm just speculating here reduced operations were it not for CARES Act money which was just helicopter money there are a lot of hospitals that received there's reports coming out now, no surprise here, because the CARES Act money was largely indiscriminate. It, it didn't really apply any tests, such as PPP and unemployment benefits. I reported last week, I'm not sure if it was with you or Will, uh, Rhino, but now the IRS is disclosing that a very large number of folks who earn more than a million dollars when they filed their tax return in 2020, 2021, received unemployment benefits, some that earned more than $10 million among those who applied for and received unemployment benefits, the enhanced unemployment benefits, the EUA as it is called, from the federal government, which taxpayers just fleeced in all of these COVID aid programs. And let's be honest, it's Trump. Big, big, the vast majority of that signed off on by the Republican Congress and acted into law by Trump. The Families First Act in March 2020 and then the CARES Act as well in 2020 that came about a month or so later. The two of those accounted for about $3 trillion. And then on top of that, all the bond buying and the money printing and the liquidity injected into the economy by the Fed, it all added up to about $6 trillion in that year, and that's a large contributor to inflation. Biden had to make his mark, and then he threw another $1.9 trillion at it in the American Rescue Plan, enacted into law in, what, February 2021, right after he was seated in the White House as the president, And all of that has just exacerbated uh, inflation dramatically. And here we are. And you see reports that consumers are still spending because they still got a lot of that money. So retail sales still pretty strong. That, That signals to the Fed inflation is likely to remain sticky. Therefore, you got to keep raising rates. And that's what's got the markets on edge. The Dow now down 312. Greenwood LaFleur Hospital, I think, reflects the financial condition of a number of, especially the rural hospitals. And and though you're right, Ben, I would invite you to go take a look at the financial statements. I'm talking about Ben from Madison, who made the comment, very fortunate to live in an area where the hospitals aren't struggling, like some in the rural parts. It is true they're not struggling to the extent those in in uh, the rural areas of the state are where fewer people have any sort of coverage, be it Medicare, Medicaid, or private insurance, they're too struggling. Uh, it's it's a it's a nationwide issue. That, of course, expenses continue to rise, especially with the the uh, tight market of nurses, the tight labor market for mer- nurses, and nurses know it and. I don't blame them. They're leveraging that situation to improve their 
personal pay and compensation, and that is considerably higher today on average than it was pre-pandemic, and a number of nurses just left, said, I'm getting out, I don't want to do this anymore. And of course, when you got plenty of employers looking for employees and workers, that uh, it's not like they can't land somewhere doing something else, if they choose to. So all of these dynamics, I think, are causing an issue for the healthcare industry, what's called the healthcare economy in this country, and in particular uh, in the state. Now, something as well, uh, to talk about Medicaid expansion, I, I wonder how many realize, I just wanted to share this with you, that as part of those bills passed under President Trump, Medicaid, while not expanded uh, as defined by so-called Medicaid expansion under Obamacare, where able-bodied adults with income below 138% of the federal poverty level become eligible to enroll in Medicaid, while that is is what is is described as Medicaid expansion. It is interesting to note that those bills passed under Trump uh, did, in fact, increase the amount of federal reimbursement by 6%, 6.5% to the states. The federal portion, of course, Medicaid is a shared expense program shared between the Fed and the, and the state itself, Mississippi being the poorest state. It's, it is based on the, the uh, state's income level of its citizens. Mississippi, of course, as long as I've been watching this, received the highest portion from the uh, of Medicaid from the federal government. 76 sort of oscillates between 75-78%. So you add on to that the additional 6% coming from the federal government through these bills passed in 2020, signed into law by President Trump. 6.2% is actually what it was. Uh, the federal government now pays. We're still under that emergency situation, remember? The federal government pays for 84% of Medicaid in Mississippi. The state picks, picks up the other 16%. But there was an interesting caveat to that uplift in federal reimbursement that we'll discuss when we come back in the next segment that's worth noting because it figures into all this. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Thomas, I got to tell you, man, you seem to know a whole lot about running a hospital <laughs> based on what you're saying. A lot of loss of revenue. So you, you think the loss of revenue is a result of mismanagement. Huh? And I'm not saying you're wrong, but how do you know that? 
Uh, uh, With that, so when you think about revenue produced at a hospital, does that mean that? I mean, it could be a number of things, right? If you're losing revenue, I, I think the more meaningful accompanying data would be. What about the number of patient encounters? What uh, all the things that produce revenue are all those down? Are there just fewer services being provided? Fewer operations, fewer procedures, fewer patient visits, not staying in the hospital as long, uh, fewer visits to the emergency room. I mean, so is it that, or is it that management is not is not uh, proficiently and efficiently collecting from payers? Or is it because there are more that the hospital is serving that don't have any coverage and aren't able to pay? I mean, so the, And the only reason I'm pointing this out is we don't know. I, I don't have any data. So you heard me suggest to Mayor McAdams, could we get the CFO, CEO, or both on? And those are all valid questions because those are metrics that you won't find in the financial statements. So in the, in the financial world, they refer to those as qualitative metrics as opposed to quantitative, which are what financial statements present. You can't tell from looking at that. I don't know what the explanation is for, uh, for revenues being down. So when all the smoke clears, Thomas says, GLH and medical care in general will likely be the same as our education system in Mississippi. Too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Thomas, I still still am looking for your explanation and your proposal of what the org chart should look like for GLH, and more importantly, what the financial model, what would would the budget look like in, in your view? And then the second part of that question is, are you willing to work 80% of the time without reimbursement, without compensation, without pay? And if you believe that that's not a real problem in this country, I would recommend that you study up on what's called MTALA. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that concept or not, but that was actually a law. It's called MTALA. That's the that's the acronym. It stands for Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act. It was passed in 1986, and it was signed into law by President Ronald Reagan. And what it essentially does is it requires hospitals to provide a certain level of medical treatment to stabilize the patient. And there's definitions of what... what uh, constitutes stabilizing the patient whether the patient can pay or not it's it's to my knowledge maybe the only if not one of the only i'm not familiar with any other industry that is compelled by law to deliver services whether the recipient of those services can and will pay or not and I know a lot of folks, and I'm sure you're among them, Thomas, that would like to see more free market. I'm among you. I'm among them in healthcare. But if you think about it, until providers of the care, hospitals, physicians, et cetera, healthcare professionals, 
until they're able to say, you know what, if you can't pay me, I'm not going to take care of you. You don't have a free market. I can't imagine. I don't know that, for example, if somebody called this company and said, look, I want to run a series of ads, but I'm not going to pay you. Okay, we'll take care of you. Probably not going to happen because the company's not going to make it. It won't survive. Just not tenable. That's what's happening in healthcare, like it or not. You, f- you fix the patient, you stabilize the patient, and there are a lot of really good-hearted, Rhino, I know we've talked about this, physicians that do absorb that. They're willing to provide care a lot, knowing they're not going to get compensated for it. Somebody's paying somehow, otherwise it wouldn't make it. And so it's the same old thing that we see across this country where, yeah, the people who have the ability to are paying for the people who don't. It's just redistribution at the end of the day. But in the case of health care, they're often absorbing that, and there's a limit on what they can get from the people who can pay through private insurance, etc. It's incredibly complicated. Time for a break. Super Talk News, Fox News, a lot more to talk about. Might want to get to the Twitter saga as well. Coming right back. And now, and now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays, hour three of the program. Super Talk Mississippi once again traveling up to Tupelo, your hometown tomorrow. Rhino will be broadcasting live from Stone's Jewelry in Tupelo, where there will be Christmas savings throughout the store. Bring a new blanket or monetary donation to help the Sanctuary Hospice, and you'll be entered to win a prize each hour. And if you're in the area, folks, come on by and see us. We'll be... I know Scary Gary and I will be headed up there. He's going up tonight. I'll be leaving early in the morning. The weather predicted to be somewhat delightful. Look forward to uh, enjoying the ride up 55, 82, up to Trace. The Trace is beautiful this time of year with all the the trees uh, changing colors. Pretty soon all the leaves will be off, though. We'll be in winter and the trees will be bare. That's what happens. At that point, I'll be yearning for spring when they start (laughs) pushing those leaves out again. So a new water administrator for the city of Jackson says the city's water system is, quote, the most tested in America. Hmm. So got a big old problem there in Jackson to deal with. No doubt about that. And we'll see where all that goes and be tracking that situation. But that's kind of the first brush. Tom Hennepin, the city of Jackson Water System third-party administrator, took some questions yesterday at a news conference at the city hall 
in Jackson uh, on yesterday, yeah, Monday, December 5th. So that's, uh, that's Mr. Hannafin's take at this point. You know, something else you need to be aware of is this year went into effect. At the beginning of the year, any transactions over 600 bucks through these digital apps, Venmo, PayPal, etc., you got to report those now to the IRS, which I find to be rather crazy, but you do. Now, remember, they wanted you, they wanted, uh, the Biden administration did, to track all transactions over $600 in or out of your bank account, much like your standard checking account. That did not go through, fortunately. We talked about it extensively on the show and all the dangers and the risks and the hassles of that, and no doubt the IRS, I think, would misinterpret some of that and think there's more to it than just a an innocuous transaction and come knocking on your door and want to dig further and harass you only to drill a dry hole, which is what's going to happen, I believe, when they hire these 87,000 IRS agents. If that happens, we shall see. We are also coming up on the debt ceiling, and the Democrats are planning to increase the debt ceiling necessary just to stay the status quo, by the way. Not so we can spend more money, but because of the mandatory spending programs that are just naturally, organically increasing without any action by lawmakers, talking about Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, debt interest, without even touching the discretionary spending, which includes defense and all the rest of government, all the various agencies. Those are the two broad categories, mandatory, discretionary. Well, the mandatory keeps on rolling, and and it increases just naturally again. And you've got to increase the debt limit so the government can borrow money to meet its obligations under those programs. The Democrats want to push that through in the lame duck session before the new Congress is seated in January. And, and they're trying to avoid a battle over increasing the debt ceiling once the Republicans control the House. They're trying to avoid that and get it done, because that would be the opportunity, hopefully, that Republicans would leverage to make some adjustments to spending. And that, of course, primarily, if not exclusively, honestly, applies to discretionary spending, which includes defense and all the rest of government, does not include Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and debt interest, which comprise about 70% of total federal spending. Now, I see lots of, I see lots of candidates, not now, obviously, because the elections are over, but pre-election, you see lots of candidates on the Republican side. I got a little bit of a bone to pick here with them. Yeah, we got to cut out all this reckless spending. That's what they'll say. We got to balance the budget. We got to stop producing these deficits and adding to the debt. I'm with them. I agree. But when you pose the simple question, how do you intend to achieve that? I don't see any details. It's kind of like this Greenwood Lafour Hospital deal. 
that it's easy to get on your keyboard and say, yeah, they just need to cut expenses. That'll make ends meet. And I'm certainly not suggesting that every organization, right, should be constantly analyzing and evaluating their expense model in order to maximize gross margin and net margin. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's just what a for-profit, or certainly in their case, it's producing a positive cash flow and maintaining a, a solvent and viable net position. That's what they should be doing. But putting that into practice is a, is a horse of a different color, as the saying goes. And, and so in the case of even McCarthy, who's likely to be the next Speaker of the House, yeah, we've got to cut out all this reckless spending. Okay, what exactly? Because you don't have the votes in the even if you even if you did have the votes in the Senate, are you willing to cut Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid? Social Security, in fact, in accordance with law, is increasing next year by eight point three percent because there is a cost of living adjustment that is triggered by the consumer price index by inflation. It's going up. Can't touch that. Are you willing to touch Medicare? That's already got all kinds of problems associated with it. The providers are are complaining about low reimbursement rates from Medicare. Hard to make ends meet at those reimbursement rate levels. And then there's Medicaid. Not sure if you're aware, folks. 90 million in this country on Medicaid. Let me repeat. 90 million. When Barack Obama took office, it was 45 million in 2008. It has doubled. Doubled since then. In the state of Mississippi, the rolls have swelled to 840,000. Nearly one-third of our population is on Medicaid without expanding Medicaid. That's just base, traditional Medicaid. 840,000. The law passed under President Trump not only increased the federal rate of reimbursement by 6.5% to the states, which bumped Mississippi's up to... 84.06%. The state covers the rest. It not only did that, a a, uh, requirement as part of receiving those additional federal funds with a higher matching rate, the states, including Mississippi, had to agree not to remove anyone from the Medicaid rolls, even if they're no longer eligible, until... The emergency declaration is over at the federal level. And you start de-enrolling people, that's going to cause a big stink in the healthcare industry in our state. And that's about to start happening. But in addition to that, because the rolls swelled and you cannot de-enroll anyone in the federal government increase the reimbursement rate, the state has also incurred additional cost of $173 million 
uh, in state funds over this period of time. So while I certainly understand and appreciate that one of the main objections to Medicaid expansion is that the state would have to pick up the 10% of expansion cost, the state has been picking up this, these uh, enhancements to Medicaid that went into effect, signed into law by President Trump in 2020, and then extended by Joe Biden as well. So we're already, you could argue, in effect, picking up the cost for expanding the roles of Medicaid because we can't de-enroll anybody. Just something to think about there. James Brown and the Blues Brothers bumping us out of this segment. Coming back on Midday. Stay with us. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. the smooth soul sound of Marvin Gaye. Will you be a DJ here on <laughs> on a soul music station, right? I don't know if it's still around. It used to be WKXI in Jackson. I think it was down on Lynch Street, if I'm not mistaken, near Jackson State. And as I recall, it was either the first or one of the first to broadcast in stereo. I know ZZQ, the classic rock station, where the great Perez once worked. It was uh, stereo, FM. Seems like KXI may have been. I could be wrong on that. I know Jackson State University has an awesome jazz radio station in stereo. It's pretty cool. Kixie's what they call it, WKXI, as I recall in those days. Yeah, that was long before my time. (laughs) One-third on Medicaid, says Jason. How many in Mississippi live under or right at the poverty line in Mississippi, chicken or the egg situation that nobody on either side wants to address? It's a great point, Jason, honestly. And and what I mean by that is, uh, you've heard me say before, I'd like to see the legislature put these big, giant LCD screens signage in each uh, chamber, the House and the Senate, that constantly displays and updates the state's per capita income and household income and corresponding rank among the 50 states. Just a gentle reminder, that's really what your goal is, because a lot of other problems in our state and challenges in our state get solved as that increases. We don't have as much need for Medicaid and SNAP and all the other uh, benefits, federal aid and assistance, and state aid and assistance as well. And generally speaking, of course, folks that make higher incomes are going to have more disposable income to spend on goods and services, and that includes houses. And more expensive houses means they're paying more in, in property taxes, which are the primary source of funding at the county level to the schools. Uh, and, and so that 
props up the quality of education and means that the uh, taxpayers from an income tax perspective are not as much on the hook for funding uh, public education in the state. So it's it's chicken and egg deal. You're absolutely right. They're inextricably linked. So it's just something that I think our eye needs to be focused on, and I really feel like that good policy enacted at the state level should have as a policy certainly that's economic related and to some extent that's related from a non-economic perspective because good non-economic policy also can induce economic activity as we were talking about earlier that unleashes the magical power of the the greatest asset that God bestowed upon humanity, and that's the human brain. It's what distinguishes us from all the other creatures on the planet. I had a philosophy professor, Rhino, in college that used to make this statement regularly, said um, that that monkeys, the, the species, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but very bright animals. Right? Some would say brighter than many other species. Um, they, here's what he used to say they are aware, but humans are aware that they're aware. That's the way he used to delineate. That always kind of made sense to me. I didn't totally agree with this very left wing. As most are, as you can imagine, right in the philosophy department. And you know the class I was taking? Business ethics was a requirement. At that time, I'm not sure if it is anymore. And this guy actually talked about spending the summer in the Delta of Mississippi. And he was not from here because he wanted to experience life as an impoverished person in the Delta. Now, you got to remember, this is the 70s. And actually lived in with some of the folks in their, I guess you could loosely call them houses. And one of his observations was that the Skeeters are pretty big in the Delta, right? And they didn't have any air conditioning, so to try to uh, allow a little air to flow in the house, open the windows. But they didn't have any screens. And so while you're sleeping, you're getting eaten up by mosquitoes. And he just made this comment that people have a right to have screens on the windows. I can still remember that. Screens on the windows. He like pounded because he went up and spent the night in those homes. And they are gigantic in the summer, the mosquitoes in the Delta. They can be. It's just a breeding ground for them. Seems like it's like a unique sort of species of larger mosquitoes. Uh, but they play, they learn to live with it. And we got all kinds of ways of keeping them off your body that we didn't have certainly back then. Hmm. Just something that just hit my came across my mind, remember that. I took that class in the summer, and it was between the summer sessions, and he'd gone and lived in the Delta and was just dumbfounded at the lack of screens on the windows there.
Lyle from Brandon says, conscious and self-conscious. Yeah, same thing. Pretty good. Uh, there's something else. Vicki and Clarksdale, what are you saying here? Uh, I would like to see the elderly qualify for Medicaid. Lots and lots of don't. I work for Medicaid. Well, they are a covered category, though, Vicki. And, in fact, analyses I've seen show that while children either on base Medicaid or the CHIPS program, they make up most of those enrolled in Medicaid in Mississippi, and I think in the nation. Most of the spending, however, goes to the indigent elderly coverage group, which makes sense. Older people need more health care. And even in in private coverage, most of our health care expense occurs in the last few years, sometimes the last few months of life. So I'm not sure what you're talking about. Are you, are you saying that you'd like to see the income qualification thresholds change there so that more indigent elderly would qualify for Medicaid? And then you got the Medicaid, or I should say the coverage gap, not the Medicaid coverage gap, but the coverage gap for the able body between, I think it's 45% of the federal poverty level and 100% of the federal poverty level, where they're eligible for subsidies in the private insurance exchanges. William and Greenville says it's the little mosquitoes that are the worst. Well, you would know, William. I, you may be right. Um, maybe it's just more of a, a, a nuisance and annoyance. Um, coached a lot of youth baseball up in the area. Always enjoyed going to the Delta. In fact, in Cleveland, where we were last week, coached at, um, I recall, a park that seems to be situated in the midst of a neighborhood there in Cleveland, a youth sports park. Awesome, awesome time. But, gosh, the mosquitoes are all over the place. Uh, uh, Looking for something else here. Andy in Jackson says, Dire Straits wants you to have MTV. That was earlier this morning. Spinning all the hits all the time. (laughs) Yeah. that's. uh, I kind of miss those old stations that had all those little slogans like that. We had one not far from here. WRBC. Down on State Street. If you ever take a ride down there, Rhino, you'll see the interesting gray structure kind of building set back in the field. It's got a little tower in the middle of it. I think it's where maybe Sound and Communications, the private company, is located now. Used to be used to house a couple of radio stations. The one in particular that comes to mind is RBC, also known as Rebel Radio. That's what the R stood for, I believe. One aspect of Medicaid expansion, this is uh, from Ben from Madison on the ceasefire text line, that worries me is that once an individual gets added, they likely won't get off. I don't know if that's enough a negative to justify not expanding. It will be very interesting to see where the state goes with this in the coming years. So because Medicaid expansion, Ben, is uh, designed to to service, uh, to provide coverage to able-bodied adults because base Medicaid does not provide, does not cover able-bodied adults uh, in general, that that would mean that their income is above the threshold level and there are systems in place to check that. Kind of like unemployment benefits, when you get on unemployment and you go back to work, you're supposed to be pulled off the unemployment rolls. The problem is 
since Trump signed the, the CARES Act and the Families First Act in 2020, nobody has been removed. That's why 90 million are on it right now. Coming right back, half an hour left on middays in the Element Well Studios. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. So on the ceasefire text line, I'm not sure who this is. That's fine. You don't have to share your identity with us. Just send us a text, 601-879-4395. says, the solution is a single-payer system, which is the absolute holy grail of the Democrats. You know something else, Rhino? A lot of folks, as you've seen, are really enamored with Tulsi Gabbard, former member of the House of Representatives from the great state of Hawaii, the Aloha State. She is a proponent of a single-payer system. While a lot of folks, including me, tend to agree with her on lots of foreign policy issues and even some cultural matters from an economic policy perspective, she's left of Bernie Sanders. She is a card-carrying socialist from an economic perspective. You can go verify it, folks. Go go see her response when asked that very question when she was a candidate for president, as you recall, when they had a large field uh, prior to the Democrat primary. And she and virtually everybody on the stage, as I recall, said, yes, absolutely, single-payer is what they want. And uh, they, they always hold up Canada and the U.K. as a model for health care and uh, Scandinavia. Everything's better in Scandinavia, right? We just need to be Norway. Yeah, you'll see a lot less people championing Canada nowadays. It's true. Lots of problems. When the uh, answer to long waits is, well, we could always euthanize you. Correct. They're pushing that now, right? Somebody on the ceasefire text line said that as well. So Jeff and Grenada says, Gerard, I know you're not a hunter. That is true, I'm not. My son, however, is a avid hunter, and I've bought many a gun uh, in that regard. But that what stupid thing did Oregon just do related to guns? Every time I go online for a gun ammo site, I get messages stating that all orders for Oregon are getting priority due to their deadline that Oregon outlaw guns. Well, not exactly, but they did not so long ago pass a measure, uh, a voter-approved measure, uh, approved via citizen-initiated. I don't know if the citizens put this measure on the ballot or if the legislature of Oregon did, but nonetheless, 
It was voted on by Oregonians and narrowly passed. By 50.7%, it bans the sale, transfer, and manufacture of magazines that hold more than 10 rounds, requires a permit to purchase a gun, and doesn't allow a gun sale or transfer to occur without a background check completed. And of course, that, that feature is something the Democrats have pushed hard for uh, for, it seems, like decades, Rhino. And so there are lots of these transactions that occur at the gun shows, et cetera, where there often are not any sort of background checks or just between private individuals, and they want all that to be checked as well. So that's that's why. Uh, that's what's uh, going on there, Jeff. Hopefully that clarified it for you. It's interesting. It passed by 50.7%. So if you've ever been to Oregon, folks, I actually lived there for almost a year. You go to the west side of the Cascade Mountain Range that bifurcates the state, and it's just left-wing Loon City, Portland, Salem, and all that. And then you go to the right eastern side of the Cascades, and from a cultural perspective, you think you're in Mississippi. So, you know, you've got lots of those counties over there that have talked about joining up and becoming part of, is it Idaho, the neighboring adjacent border state there? They want to put those together and secede from the loony pot on the, uh, on the west coast. West of the Cascade. It's also the weather because of the Cascade. You know, it's raining all the time on the western portion, western side of the range. And on the eastern side, it's completely different climate. A little more arid. Uh, Greenwood's problem has been poor leadership from the city council to the appointed hospital leadership. People not paying is also a problem. It It is, and I just, just point out for what it's worth that Hospitals are unique and that uh, the Imtala law does require, compels them, mandates that they provide some level of services to patients, many of whom, no doubt, abuse that situation and pop into the ER for sniffles. Yes, that happens. No doubt about that. I've seen it myself. Uh, And they're required to again, stabilize them whether they can pay or not. So it's doesn't really comply with the principles of free market where, well, we're not going to provide you any services unless you can pay. Lots of people without insurance use the ER as their primary physician, says Billy in Collinsville. And you're absolutely right. And, and believe it or not, Billy, if you recall, that was one of the justifications, one of the rationale uh, elements of Obamacare that that uh, it and so it has decreased. There's no doubt. The idea was well, if we could get people insured through the exchanges with these subsidies, and this year it looks like is setting up to be the biggest year ever in terms of those signing up for coverage in the exchanges at about 16 million. 15 and a half, 16 million. The idea was, well, if we can get them on the exchanges and, and expand Medicaid, 
the idea was to try to achieve universal coverage. You heard that term tossed around all the time. Universal coverage, universal coverage, meaning that people wouldn't have to use the ER for their primary position, that they would have coverage allowing them to see a primary care physician that's more suited for those kinds of services where it's not an urgent situation that where you need an ER. Uh Kids in emergency room with sniffles, says Larry and Jackson. Yeah, I actually saw my wife had uh, a bout with kidney stones. This is about five or six years ago, and went to a local ER and noticed that there were three what appeared to be quite young, healthy college-age students in the ER at the same time, and they were waiting and I overheard one of them talking about it was a scheme to try to get a doctor's note to get out of taking a test the next day. I mean, crazy stuff like that absolutely does happen. And they're not going to kick you out. Because you start lying about it, and I guess what I learned, I know, Rhino, you've got more exposure to health care than I do. The doctors told me that the, the real red flag is if somebody comes in and complains about chest pains. They're going to the top of the list, right? Top of the line, boom. You're you're getting zipped back there to take care of you, to address your issue. I think that's the standard triage protocol, is my understanding. I, th- I may have shared that I happened to be in there that night with my wife, who was desperately in pain, passing kidney stones. Uh, and it was urgent, because we wanted to get her out of her pain, obviously. But I noticed a, a young black female... I would say probably in her late 20s with her family, and she was experiencing, I just happened to overhear it. I wasn't trying to to um, eavesdrop an anemic, a sickle cell anemic attack, and, and couldn't get in to, you know, get taken care of, see a physician, nurse, whatever. And I ended up going to talk to the triage nurse. you got to come help this, this poor lady out here. It's, Oh, gosh, she's twenty something. That she's she's in need of of treatment. It's a in in deep pain. You could tell, and just miserable. And uh, so, I mean, that sort of stuff happens. It's a uh, it's happening constantly. By the way, in these in these ERs in our country, and I know a lot of folks would like to see. The con laws, including me. I want to see the certificate of need laws completely abolished to allow more free market in the healthcare industry. And I think it would lead to expansion of healthcare assets and facilities. There's folks who oppose that, saying that it would dilute the, uh, by increasing the supply, it would, it would dilute the, uh, the revenue opportunity for the ones currently in business, the uh, healthcare facilities and make it harder for them to make ends meet. I'm not sure I totally agree with that. I I just still am a big believer in letting the free market sort those things out. We are going to take a break right here in the Element Well Studios final segment on this Tuesday after the break. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
Tom in Carthage says on the ceasefire text line, I remember my son playing at the field in Cleveland. You never parked behind the outfield because you stood a good risk of catching a home run in the windshield. Well, that's a good thing. I had a player hit one that landed on the top of the hood of my vehicle and put a big old baseball-sized dent in it. And it took me about a year to finally get it in to get it repaired. But you know what? It was uh, a critical home run, as I recall, and so I didn't complain about it. Helped us win the game. We go on on the in the tournament. Let's see. Uh, There's a couple other things I wanted to get here uh, about uh, hmm, looking for it. Uh, Jason says it's that way in Washington State too. Talking about how the state is divided culturally and politically, philosophically. Yeah, you're true. You're right, uh, Jason. I've, I've been there as well. I spent more time in, in Oregon, but I, I agree. I call it the Interstate 5 International Border. California, Oregon, Washington kind of splits it up there. You're right about that, north to south. Yeah, somebody else says, I agree with your Oregon statement. My mother moved to Terrebonne, Oregon. Totally different environment than the western half of that state. No doubt about it. Thomas and Greenwood says he was – Jeff must have been ordering from Palmetto State Armory, I guess, getting that same message. If I asked, Tulsi could always give the Kamala answer. It was a debate. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, that's, that's right. Good point. Emphasis on the ha, ha, ha. Yeah. <laughs> the cackling. Oh, gosh. There was something else I was looking for that – the real pl- problem, yeah, it's it is a real problem talking about health care. And I am moving from the side of against expansion to the side of being for expansion in Greenwood LaFleur area, though a great deal of these people are Medicaid because they got some reason not to be able bodied and therefore qualify. And that was actually from November twenty eighth. I think that's the last time we had the mayor on the show. And does anyone know why UMC backed out of purchasing, acquiring Greenwood LaFleur. I don't know the exact reason, but I I wonder, I question the wisdom of it, honestly, if, in fact, it's losing money at the rate it is. And it's a trend. It's not getting any better. It's getting worse. So I, I don't know that it makes sense, if I'm UMC, to go acquire Unless you've got a business plan and a business model, and they very well may have one, where they could uh, transition the institution from being in the red and producing negative cash flow to producing positive. That absolutely could be the case. They could have some sort of synergy from scale and consolidation being part of the UMC platform. So I don't know. I'm, I'm speculating. They've they've not said anything uh, to me, and and I know folks that would be involved in that. I haven't asked them, in fairness, but they certainly haven't shared that and haven't been on the program. Bub and Starkville says it's a huge part of the problem. Those folks don't know how to run a hospital. Old Lounge General in Columbus was run 100% by supervisors. Baptist bailed them out years ago. Con is a double-edged sword. I have been on both sides. I agree with you. And I would invite you, Bubba, to take a look at Octibaha as well, I believe it's also in the red. I think it's Octibaha County Hospital. Jimmy in Greenville 
discussion about EMTALA, that this is the very reason that it is imperative to keep con laws in place to protect public hospitals. Jimmy says he uh, reports he's a practicing medical doctor, so he's got some experience with this. He gives an example, and um, it's, I think, a fairly good point. He says, if I build a surgery center down the street from the hospital, I can pick and choose who I want to let in. The hospital has to take care of whoever shows up on the doorstep. Step. Jimmy's right. That's what we've been talking about, EMTALA. They are essentially compelled to serve uh, all comers, whether they can pay or not. Says, I buy a fancy MRI machine because without Khan, he would be able to do so without getting permission from the Department of Health in Mississippi under the Certificate of Need laws, which also authorizes and controls such equipment, not just facilities and beds and so forth, but also equipment, just clarifying that. But he goes on to say, if I buy a fancy MRI machine that the public hospital can't afford, then I can go out and recruit all the paying patients to use my new machine. The poor public hospital is struggling to take care of no pays and can't buy a competitive MRI machine. I I agree, Jimmy. You know, I, I would like to see, rather than this giant Medicaid program we have that now has 90 million people, 90 million in this country. We don't have but 320 million, 330 in the whole nation. 90 million are on Medicaid, free federal government health care. And also somewhat state-funded as well, but primarily funded by the federal government. And maybe we could come up with a plan, something I've thought about, where we just send everybody a voucher instead of enrolling them in Medicaid and let them buy private coverage which would reduce their risk, spread their risk out, I think would uh, be the impetus for decreasing premiums, and it would increase the roles of subscribers, reimburse at higher rates to providers. I just think that's the way to address it and get the government the hell out of it. We're out of time here today. We're going to be in Tupelo tomorrow. Until then, stay safe, and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.